Well, welcome. It's, uh, it's great to have you. I'm doing a series in the middle of a series through the book of Acts, and uh, we've been uh, looking at uh, uh, how do we bring good news to people that aren't necessarily um, ready or prepared or in some cases don't want to hear good news. Uh, sometimes they're really anxious to hear good news. And uh, so we're looking at how the Apostle Paul did it when he uh, went through uh, to unknown places uh, where the gospel hadn't ever been preached. And uh, there's some similarity for us because uh, in many ways our culture is becoming uh, more and more distant uh, from, from the Lord. And, and our challenge, our delight is to share the gospel with our friends, family, those we come in contact with. But uh, it's often a challenge, like how do we exactly do that? Uh, and for some, it's just a terrifying thought. Others, uh, they don't want any part of it. Uh, and others, they just like love it, you know. So uh, I would love us to be able to uh, maybe just be more aware, more skilled, uh, more sensitive to what the Spirit of God is doing. Uh, because God is always moving and active. Uh, our uh, delight is to see what it is that God is doing and to partner with God and when we do, uh, it's extremely rewarding for us. But, you know, a starting point for each of us in our walk with, uh, Lord, with the Lord is, how did you come to know Jesus? I mean, what was the process in your life? Uh, for some of you, you were uh, privileged and lucky to have grown up in a family of faith, and uh, you came to church uh, all your life. And uh, when you became a teenager, you you know, how to figure out for yourself whether you believed in God and whether, he, uh, he, you know, He's real and how He relates to you. And uh, if you like my kids, uh, you made that transition, you still love the Lord. Uh, for some of you, you didn't have that kind of a privileged upbringing. Uh, for some of you, uh, you know, somebody invited you uh, to know the Lord or invited you to church. Uh, but one of the questions that I'd like you to be just thinking about in your, in your own mind is, uh, did somebody come to you or did you come to the church? Because in most cases, uh, from my perspective, uh, most people, I mean, I won't say most people, but fewer people show up at church when they don't know anybody in church, don't know anything about church, um, and yet, there's a number of uh, people, I mean, even as I'm looking here, we've got uh, Debbie Drennan, you know, she was driving by church, going to Price Chopper, and I don't know, I think your story was something like you felt like God was telling you, turn around, go to that church, and okay, so Debbie's got all the dates, like, fixated in there, December the 23rd, I'm on my way to Price Chopper, uh, uh, I, I don't know what state you would call yourself at that point, agnostic, disbeliever, like, big into, I don't know, but anyway, some other... And I don't know how you felt the Spirit was telling you, but it felt like what somebody was like, turn your car, go to church. So I didn't, go to, I didn't get the milk at Price Chopper. That was like irrelevant. Now just Jesus. Okay. <laughs> you know, I love it like that. Those are the, I love those stories. Like, okay, uh, how did you come to faith? Well, it's Holy Spirit. Just like, I mean, I'm trying hard to be in tune with the Holy Spirit. I'm not like as good as you. Like my whole SUV. Ooh. I mean, uh, there's been others. I mean, I mean, we've had a number of people that had... Somewhat of actually a similar story, just driving by South Street, and I, and, and I just felt like the Lord is telling me to come to church. Uh, you know, so there are cases like that where, 
you know, and, and Debbie, I mean, you're not like, I wouldn't have said you're a case example for somebody that's sensitive to the things of the Holy Spirit. I mean, you were doing life and life intersected with Jesus. I, I okay, so it was crisis in your family. Family member dies of cancer. you obviously upset. One of those times in our lives where God gets our attention. It's like, okay, God, you know, if you, if you weren't in tune with God, all of a sudden you are. It's like, God, why is this happening? Help me out. This is, you know, all the distress. Fair enough. And you needed God, and you found your way in here. But I would say for the most part, uh, the onus is really on us to go out and to say, hey, you know, how about being invited to come to church? Uh, I'll pick you up. I'll accompany you. I'll bring you to church. But, you know, whatever it was uh, for you, uh, how do you get to church or how you came to faith in Christ, it's, uh, it's different for, for each of us. But uh, I will say this, uh, a church and uh, faith is not sort of like the, the in thing at the moment. Uh, most people uh, are not like big on faith at the moment. Or should I say, most people aren't uh, driving past the vineyard church and their cars are just like pulling in in droves and, you know, we're trying to figure out where we're going to park them all because just so many people are doing For, uh, Conversations that I have with most people are normally more hostile in nature or uh, more like uh, not as exciting, you know. So uh, maybe you've come across this one uh, you know, people would say, well, all religions are equally true. You know, Rob, what's a big deal about Jesus or Christianity or being a Protestant? You know, aren't all religions equally true? I don't know if you hear that anymore. Uh, I don't know how you guys respond to that. Uh, typically, when I hear that, I'm like, that's so old. You know, that's like so 90s. That's so like the last century. You know, I'm like, all faiths are equal. Everybody goes, really? Are you still in that? I mean, get with the times. I mean, get with the times. Like, the times are like, all faiths are bad. You know, it's not like all faiths are good. All faiths are bad. That's more like the scene now. It's like, so get with it. All faiths are equally false. I mean, that's more what I'd hear than all faiths are equally good and always lead to God. It's like, they're all equally problematic. And so, yeah, how do we respond uh, to people uh, in this day and age. The Apostle Paul was uh, facing uh, similar challenges as he was going out and talking to different people groups in different places. And uh, we know that his mode of operation essentially was to go and find Jewish synagogues uh, because there was an area that uh, he felt comfortable in there was a starting point where he was dealing with Jewish people in the Old Testament faith. And uh, using that as a launching pad, he could connect dots and say, look, look how this is pointing to Jesus. And uh, he would meet, uh, uh, as I said so many times, it either make people mad or it would make them glad. And uh, some would believe and some would stone him. You know, it was sort of a... Wonderful response, uh, either making people really glad or they want to kill you. I mean, welcome to uh, bringing the good news. Uh, uh, you will feel that as well as you share the gospel. You'll either help people or you make them mad. But uh, the, the, the section in Scripture that I want to look at today is in Acts chapter 14. And uh, this is where uh, the Apostle Paul uh, gets caught sort of unprepared. And uh, it didn't go according to his normal mode of operation. 
But uh, let me just pray, and uh, then we'll jump into the Scripture. Uh, Jesus, we just lift up this morning. We just ask you uh, to be present. I invite your Holy Spirit particularly to move among us. Uh, we just ask, Lord, that you would uh, reveal yourself to each one of us afresh. I pray you'd empower us and equip us uh, and excite us uh, to share you with our friends. Uh, and, Lord, we just are dependent on you. We acknowledge that there's no methodology, there's no secret plan. There is a sense of being uh, attuned to you. And we ask you that you'd open our minds and open our ears and open our mouths that we can hear and understand and comprehend and, and, and talk about you and be your representatives. So, Lord, we just lift up this morning uh, in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So, uh, you know, if there's anything I want you to get out of today's sermon, it would be that there is no formula. Uh, but there is a lot that we can be intentional about when we're trying to uh, bring good news to people that may or may not want to hear good news. Uh, some are open to it. And as uh, Debbie just uh, touched on, often when we're going through crises or people are going through crises in their lives, uh, that's an opportunity because people are looking for something outside of themselves. They're looking for help, uh, and it's a good opportunity to pray for people. But uh, in Acts chapter 14, uh, we touched on this a few weeks ago, and uh, so let me just uh, back up here a bit. But uh, Paul is on his first missions trip. Uh, he has now found his way to the town of Lystra, and I'm in, uh, in Acts chapter 8, and uh, we had I preached on this a little bit where Paul and Barnabas uh, come across this guy who's never walked and uh, they pray for him to, to walk and uh, he indeed gets up, he's healed and he's, he, he walks and uh, this creates uh, quite a stir as you can imagine in the community because uh, I don't know how big Derby was but you know this guy was pretty well known and he's... Uh, not a kid, and he's never walked his whole life, and now all of a sudden he's walking without a whole lot of fanfare. Uh, and so uh, the town is pretty uh, stirred up, and people have, you know, they, the eyes are on uh, Paul and, and Barnabas. Now, to understand the rest of the story, you actually have to know the backstory. Uh, when you know the backstory, then this story really starts making sense. So the backstory we have. Uh, obtained from a document called Metamorphosis, and it was written by a guy uh, called Ovid, and he lived 43 years before Christ until AD 17. So in that uh, uh, time period, uh, we have this document about called Metamorphosis, and it talks about this particular area. And the funny story, and it is actually kind of, kind of funny, <laughs> what we find from this document is the people in this town uh, they believed that uh, Hermes and Zeus, uh, that, which is Jupiter and, uh, and, and Mars, um, Jupiter and Mercury, I should say, Jupiter and Mercury, Hermes and, and, and Zeus, uh, that two men disguised themselves as men. They were really gods. And they disguised themselves as men. And they came to the town and uh, they were looking for hospitality. And uh, in that culture, hospitality was like a big deal. You, you didn't refuse people hospitality lightly. But uh, these uh, gods disguised as men 
went from house to house, and uh, they just were turned down. Again and again, they were turned down. There were a thousand houses, and they were turned down. And then finally, as you can well imagine, an elderly couple who were very, very poor let them in. And because they did this, the gods were so pleased with them, they built this temple, or the temple was created to Zeus. And the other thousand people, they were just destroyed. And so there was this anticipation with these people. There was uh, a, a sort of unspoken uh, expectation that these uh, gods are going to reappear. And uh, people were sort of constantly on the lookout for the surprising gods disguising themselves as humans uh, that were going to reappear. And that's the backdrop for the story. Now, let me read it to you. When the crowd saw that what Paul had done, he's just healed this guy supernaturally, and now he's walking, they, show, they shouted in their local dialect, these men are gods in human form. Their belief has just come about. This is it. These are the guys. They decided that Barnabas was the Greek god Zeus, and Paul was Hermes, since he was the chief speaker. Now the temple of Zeus was located just outside of town. So the chief of the temple and the crowd brought bulls and wreaths of flowers to the town gates, and they prepared to offer sacrifices to the apostles. I mean, of course, this is their temple. This is like what they worship. This is what they're excited about. And finally, the day has come. They've caught these guys out. They're really gods. And, you know, they blew their cover. They did something miraculous. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard what was happening, they tore their clothing in dismay and ran out among the people, shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We are merely human beings, just like you. We have come to bring the good news that you should turn from these worthless things and turn to the living God. Okay, now Paul's in a bit of a jam, right? He's off script. This is not the Jewish temple. Uh, and now uh, these guys are like making sacrifices. They want to worship him and, and they want to create him God. And he's like, uh, this is not going to go down too well if I just accept all these praises. Uh, I, I really need to tell him it's not on. But in telling him it's not on, he's insulting their gods and he's insulting their beliefs. And, and so he, he, he's got to find some common ground. Uh, it's like you and me, uh, we're talking to somebody and they just like, you know, come from a whole different direction about the Lord. And it's like, I don't even know what to say to this person. And Paul's got to think fast and he's got to think on his feet. And uh, unfortunately, it doesn't go down too well for him. But he, he's like, intuitive thought is, Okay, where's the common ground in this conversation? The common ground has got to be creation. Like, okay, let's go back to how great God is. You know, God creates uh, the earth, and God brings rain when God should bring rain, and, and you've been blessed with your crops because God is behind it, and he's trying hard to, like, get some common ground here. Well, let me read. We have come to bring you good news that you should turn from these worthless things and turn to the living God who made heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. In the past, he permitted all nations to go their own ways, but he never left them without evidence of himself and his goodness. For instance, he sends you rain and good crops and gives you food and joyful hearts. And then verse 18, it's like, okay, how's it go when you start speaking to your friends about the Lord? And you get all excited and you're talking about Jesus and what Jesus has done in your life and 
And the other person's like, eh, eh, and then they're like, 18. But even with these words, Paul and Barnabas could scarcely restrain the people from sacrificing to them. They got like, they just like on their own agenda. It's like, you are it, man. You, 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 you're our God. So uh, no matter what Paul said to them, they weren't connecting. I mean, he's trying hard to bring them good news, to tell him that this way is wrong, to tell him that he ain't it, and it just doesn't go well. Uh, and finally, you know, uh, the crowd spoiler is the Jewish people who arrived from another town, and uh, they're able to communicate with the locals, and they say, wait a minute, these guys really aren't God, they really are just like humans, and in fact, they bad news humans, you know, they stirred up a whole bunch of trouble in the other town, and then, as you can predict, how it went for Paul and uh, Barnabas. I'll read it to you. Uh, you can see if you're very insightful theologically, if this was a made them glad or made them mad. Uh, verse 19, then some Jews arrived from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowds to their side. They stoned Paul and dragged him out of town, thinking he was dead. But as the believers gathered around him, they got up and went back into town. The next day, he left with Barnabas for Derby. Yeah, no kidding. So uh, there you go. It didn't go all that well for Paul. Uh, he tried the, the usual sort of methodology, uh, but it, it, it just didn't connect. Uh, and you, uh, if you've tried at all to share Jesus and your excitement with Jesus with people, uh, one of the things that you're going to need to do is be persistent. Uh, you just can't like give up on the first person that uh, you know rejects you or rebuffs you or has a different idea about how to go about the gospel. Uh, yes, there's always going to be somebody like Debbie who's going to totally surprise you, and you know all of a sudden God is doing something exciting in their life, and you can be part of that. We need to be somewhat you know equipped as to how do we interact with people, uh, how do we respond to people, and uh, again, as we've been saying for the last few weeks, uh, next weekend we have the Timlin race, and uh, you know, there's twofold process there, one, there's a whole bunch of people here in church which are just looking forward to beating me in this race, so that's going to be the highlight uh, as they walk around with their victory crowns as they beat me, uh, at, at, which from my perspective, it's not going to take a lot of doing, but anyway, I know it's going to be a good day for them. Uh, but then we're going to have uh, the outreach to the town. Now, again, just for those of you who never been at the high school in Hopkinton, think of uh, three or 4,000 people, think about the Red Sox pitchers, uh, Mike Timlin being there, all the kids running around getting autographs, think about, you know, 40 tents on the field and banks are being there and whatever not, and the school teachers are getting dunked in the dunk tank uh, by their uh, uh, pupils, and they really love to dunk the, the teachers as they sign up one, one after another to be dunked. Uh, and uh, we're painting faces, and we're making balloon animals, and we're also talking to people about Jesus. Okay, so how do you bring this conversation in that kind of a setting, and what are the, some of the responses that you get from people? Now, for some folks, they say, that sounds absolutely terrifying. I don't want any part of that. Other folks say, I love making balloon animals or painting faces. Just don't ask me to speak to people. Uh, so there's a place for everybody. And for others, like, I just want to run a race and I want to get out of there. There's, you know, whatever. You, I don't know what you're doing next Saturday, but you'll be there. I know. Uh, Hopkins High School, uh, Timlin Race. 
Let me look at uh, some of the other thoughts here that I think might be helpful for us to turn some of these conversations around that are, are so sort of predictable, actually. The more you start speaking to people in our day and age, the, the response that you get starts becoming predictable. I mean, it might not be the exact phraseology. It does become a little predictable. So regarding uh, other religions, folks might say, look, there's all sorts of other religions, and I don't believe in any religion. And how can you claim to know uh, that God uh, can be known? How do you know that you can know God? Well, how about turning that conversation around? How do you know that God doesn't exist? I mean, people are constantly saying, well, you know, I don't believe in God. I don't believe God exists. Uh, and as Christians, we typically, a standard response has been, well, let me prove to you that God exists. But another thought might be, how about asking them, can you prove that God doesn't exist? You know, when people are like just, well, can you prove he doesn't exist? Can you prove that I didn't connect with the Lord this morning when I was in prayer? Uh, you, you know, your proof is just not going to convince me a whole lot. So I think there is some part of our discussion when you know, we feel just like cornered, like I don't know how to answer it. We might just want to ask people, okay, if you don't believe in any religion, you don't believe in any God, and you feel like the person is saying, you know, uh, there is no God, then you might want to ask him, well, how can you know that? Can you prove that? Uh, another sort of, like I said, a little bit 90s thought, uh, I don't hear it as much, is all faiths are equally right, uh, just a different aspect of God is being revealed in each uh, faith uh, in a similar way. Uh, don't just take the person's statement on face value, say, well, prove it. What do you mean they're all different? And typically the discussion goes this way. Well, you know, it's all just good people, all good moral people, uh, all faiths are, are equally good. Um, well, prove it. Are you saying that all faiths are equally good? Yeah, so faiths that believe in sacrificing babies, that's, that's equally good, that's, that's a religion. I mean, there, there are a bunch, bunch of religions and faiths which still believe in human sacrifice, so that, that's okay. And the person typically, oh, no, well, that particular one, I didn't hear about that, that's not good. So well, how do you distinguish between what faith is acceptable if always... I mean, what about our own, like, forget about sacrificing babies. Remember our own like homegrown, like weird faith cult thing, the Davidian sect? Remember that like whole big holdout thing? We had war and the Davidians just, I don't know how many years ago it was. And like the David Davidian was like, had, I don't know how many wives he had, like 20 something. And like, I don't know how many kids he had. Really? It's like, is that faith okay? Is that, is that, I mean, all faiths are equal. I mean, all lead to God. Sure. Just whatever you want to believe. That's what he believed. That's okay. Ah, uh, for me, not so much. That's not okay. Okay, so if it isn't okay, then what is okay? How do you distinguish? Oh, maybe it's just like all the major faiths, like Hinduism and Buddhism and Muslim and Jewish and Christian. Okay, those, those are okay. Okay, so if they all okay, if, if all gods are okay and all religions are okay, then how do you distinguish one from another? And people just say, well, I don't know, you know, it's just like, they're all good, they must be. Maybe we need to press in a little bit, like, okay, so which, which angle are you coming from? If somebody says they're all okay, well, what do they believe? What makes them all okay? Why can they all be okay? Uh, I mean, it's time for us to ask the questions and start pushing back. Uh, because 
as complicated as it is, uh, you know, people have sort of got these veneer-thin uh, ideas about rejecting Jesus or rejecting faith with some sort of notion that, okay, I don't need faith and I don't need, I don't need religion, but the other ones that are out there are really great. And, you know, so because they're great, uh, I don't need anything. And it's like, no, no, we have to be able to think. We have to be able to push in. If it's great, why is it great? And if it's not great, why is it lacking? Uh, but the question we want to ask people in this day is, like, who is Jesus? You see, here's the classic it will happen. When you talk to somebody and you're getting a little bit of a muddle and you say to them, okay, so you, you, you're hostile towards Christianity. You're hostile towards, uh, towards faith. Uh, so who should, what is God and who is God and, and, and what should God look like? And then people come, you know, well, God's all loving. He would never have a hell. He would never allow babies to die. And of course, people would never get sick and die. That would be so unfair of God. God would just be good all the time. And it's like, okay, so what holy book are you reading that tells you about this type of God? I mean, you don't get it in the Jewish faith. You don't get it in the Quran. You don't get it in Christianity. You don't get it in Hinduism. So, you know, where's this God coming from that you're talking about? Well, that's just how God should be. I mean, it's obvious. If I'm going to believe in a God, when people are manufacturing their own version of what they think God should look like, and there's no religion to support that, which, by the way, is what I'm coming across mostly when I'm talking about people, uh, to, to people about faith. They're inventing what they think God should look like. There's no support for it. There's no book for it. There's no justification for it. It's just them in their infinite wisdom with their great charitable heart are uh, inventing what God should look like. And then you've got to ask the question, are you greater than God that you can invent a God in your own image. And, you know, there comes a point where we say, look, I can't invent God. I, I can testify to who Jesus is and how wonderful he is. And when we read the Bible, we get an understanding about the personality and the character of God. But that doesn't give me the freedom to invent God and to say, well, I like this aspect of God and I don't like that aspect of God and I'm going to ignore this and embrace that. At best, we do well if we just understand who God is. And the only way we can understand who God is is if God reveals himself to us. As soon as we start dictating what God should be like, we're putting ourselves above God and say, well, God, you should be like this and that, and I'll only worship you if you're really good and kind and, and you, you know, answer all my prayers and I get real wealthy and blessed and I never get sick and none of my babies will ever have a problem and life will just be so wonderful and rosy. That God doesn't exist. That religion doesn't exist. That actually is our hope for eternity. What that person's uh, longing is actually what was written in the Old Testament, that we would have a longing in our hearts. It's placed there by God for eternity. We want that perfection of which God is promising. That is what we were designed, and that's where we're heading, and that's why we have that understanding. And what God is telling us that the way we get there is only one way, and it's through Jesus. And it's like... Okay, we can actually link these dots. People that are inventing and making up their own gods, we have something in common with them. That is what God wants. It's eternity. You get there through Jesus and only through Jesus. You might make some Jewish people mad, but we understand the Old Testament, so we've got a lot of you know, thought process to relate to Jewish folks. Uh, we have a lot less thought process on how to relate to, say, you know, Muslims or whatever. But the more we kind of dig into some of these other religions, we realize that there's plenty of um, 
connecting points. Uh, you know, at a, I know this is going to drive all of you real crazy. Uh, yesterday, I was secretly reading this book, and uh, we were out on, in, in the islands, and a whole bunch of our kids from our church came up to me like, Rob, what's that book you're reading? I mean, I felt like I was reading pornography or something. The kids are like, bastard. And I'm like, eh, what am I going to tell these kids? Ah, oh, well, I'm reading the Quran. What can I tell you? I'm reading the Quran. And the kids are like, ah, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, well, okay, I am. What can I tell you? Uh, uh, you know, it's really, when you read the Quran, man, you have a whole new appreciation for the Bible. It, our Bible is one fantastic book. I've got to tell you, uh, I haven't studied the Quran, so obviously, uh, you know, any Muslim cleric is going to be pretty on. But like every second page is a pretty good description of what hell looks like and why you and I are going there. And like, it's like, whoo, okay. I, you want to invent what God looks like. You're not, you're not inventing the God that's being represented in the Quran. Believe me, uh, it's, it's just, anyway, that's a whole other story. Now, I know everybody's history. Rob's reading the Quran. He's like, okay, now he's preaching in church. I, I, okay, yeah, I still believe in Jesus. And uh, I do think you should read broadly. And uh, I do think like, you know, when you compare other religions, Christianity just percolates to the top. Uh, I do think that our Jesus is sufficient a savior, and I'm not concerned about, uh, you know, other religions. I mean, Jesus says to us, he is the way, the truth, and the life. And once we get to know God, once we get to know the way, the truth, and the life, you realize that other religions just are inadequate. Now, I get it totally that other religions are saying exactly the same thing, and they also saying that their religion is the truth. I, I get it. And the Quran would be case in point. They are saying, this is the truth. So I also get the classic problem that people have today. It's like, okay, Christians, you're saying this is the truth. Muslims, you're saying this is the truth. It can't both be the truth. True. They can't both be the truth. But this is where people exit. Then they say, well, always are true. No. This is where you need to step forward and put your mind in gear and say, okay, let's investigate this thing. They can't both be true. True. So what is each one's claims? And explore a little bit. And you realize that I think one just rises to the top in a dramatic kind of a way. I don't know if this, uh, I don't know if this is uh, <clears throat> super helpful or super not helpful to you, but one of the accusations people would make is, well, there's no way to know the truth. How do we know the truth? I don't have an easy answer to that, but maybe we have to do the hard work of trying to figure out what the truth is instead of just like a piffy one-line statement. And I think if we explore what the truth is, we explore Jesus. We start finding it out. There is no easy answer. I can't say that, okay, world peace, uh, like everybody's saying, just get rid of all religions and then we'll have world peace. Oh, no, I don't think that at all. Jesus said he is the way of peace, and we will only have peace in him. So... It's not like there's an easy answer here, but I am saying that as we press into uh, the Lord and we have uh, decent discussions about faith, uh, these things percolate out. And when people say doctrines don't matter, well, that's a doctrine. If people say doctrines don't matter or faith doesn't matter, that's a faith statement. Uh, they do matter uh, because a doctrine is merely saying, what do you believe about God or who is God? And it's not just who you want to make him up to be. It's who God says he is. You know, another um, sort of a society's way of trying to sort out this problem is saying, okay, look, 
we can be religious, but just keep it in the church. Just don't talk about it at school. Don't talk about it at a public place. And heaven forbid, if you're at the Timlin race, you know, paint faces, be nice to people, but don't talk to them about Jesus. That's called proselytizing. And proselytizing in today's age is like forbidden socially. Uh, it's like frowned upon. You can do anything you like, but don't proselytize. Okay, you can be a nice church, and you can be nice to society, and you can be nice to the town. Don't proselytize. If you promise not to proselytize, then you're good. Isn't that a form of proselytizing that the town is putting on? Isn't that their faith? They're saying, look, we're going to proselytize you. We're going to try and indoctrinate you. And our indoctrination is this. There's no faith, and there's no good religion, and you can't talk about it. That's our religion. Our religion is there's no religion. Our religion is you can't talk about religion. And if you break that code, then you're in trouble because that's our religion. We made it up, and that's what we're going to imply. There is a religion, the religion of no religion. I mean, that's why when you know people are the teenagers, the early 20s, it's so cool now. What religious association are you when you fill in the census? Oh, I'm a nun. Not N-U-N, N-O-N-E. You know, what religious affiliation are you? Oh, I'm nun. I'm just like free. I'm like none of that ridiculous stuff. Just nothing. And that religious section is now growing from 5% to 20% or whatever it is. I mean, just none. That, that is a doctrine. That is a, a faith statement. That is a, a challenge. So as we uh, come across, address people, you know, I, all I'm trying to say is this. Apostle Paul had a challenge when he went into uh, different towns. You and I have a challenge when we go into different towns. We're going to pick up people's objections. A lot of people are going to give you flack. Most people actually won't give you flack. Uh, and most people are really actually interested in how you relate to God. How is it that you know God? What is it in your story that's personal? What is it in your story that helps people connect? You can only share how you know God personally in your story. Your story is very important and it's very powerful, which is why you know Paul and Barnabas and uh, the apostles, they would share their connection with Jesus, their stories. It's, people can't deny your story. And actually, people are listening with another ear because they do want to figure out uh, what is faith all about? Uh, not everybody's uh, encounter with church or faith has been positive. And so there are people that are saying, I'm, I'm interested in this. I just, I just don't understand the way it's wrapped, the way church uh, is done. So how do I experience God uh, on God's terms? So let me just uh, uh, conclude this way. Uh, I do believe that Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit is still active and is still moving. And I do believe that Jesus uh, is desirous of you and of me uh, being bold enough at the right place with the right amount of sensitivity to speak up and talk uh, on his behalf uh, to try and see who it is that God is dealing with and working with. And it's both a delight and a challenge and a threat and exhilarating all at the same time. Uh, but it is what God wants for us and, and for you. So uh, my prayer I is this. It's Jesus, you really did physically come as a human. And uh, as the Quran would say, uh, you're not God's assistant or, or, or manager or sidekick. Uh, you really are fully God. I understand that, God. I thank you, Jesus, that you came as a human being. You really, really did die on a cross. And in doing that, as much as we don't understand the full mechanics of it, you made a way for us to be right with God the Father. 
And in doing that, as we put our faith and our trust in you, we really truly can know you. And we can indeed invite your Holy Spirit to live within us. And as we do that, many of us can testify that you do change us from the inside. You change our desires, you change our outlooks, you change the things that we find joy in and the things that we get pleasure in. And Jesus, we just thank you that we can experience the love that the Father has for us. And that we can experience the fact that when we make mistakes and we mess up, we can come to you and we can experience your peace and your joy. We, we can experience it and we can read about it in your scripture and we see how these two go hand in hand and we just thank you for it. So Jesus, I just pray for your people. I just pray for every person here that's filled with any level of angst that you would remove it. Lord, I pray that you'd fill people with your joy and your excitement. Lord, and those that are, are, are just uh, having some sense of, you know, they've messed up in their life, they've messed up before you, Lord, that you would just uh, forgive them, allow them to start afresh. And Lord, I just thank you for the joy that you give us, the freedom that you've given us. Lord, we thank you that as we put our eyes on you, thoughts on you, and live out our lives the way that you've asked us to live it out, Lord, that we experience your joy and your peace and a sense of fulfillment that you have designed for us to have. Lord, that you have indeed placed eternity in our hearts and we do desire perfection. And you are promising us that we can experience it after, after death or when you return. So thank you, Jesus. We just thank you. We thank you for what you are doing and we just ask for more, not less. Help us, Lord to be uh, like the Apostle Paul, like Barnabas, like Silas, Lord, where we could uh, really uh, take on people's objections, but also impart hope and the good news for those that are truly lost and walking around hopeless. Give us your thoughts. Give us your words. Give us your power. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.